0: Um, uh, We're going to look today, I I was going to talk about, uh, I I didn't know if I wanted to talk about mom, you know, I've been here 23 years, it's kind of like I think I've shot all my bullets on Mother's Day, (laughs) and and I don't think there's anything I could tell you mothers that would make you feel good, and uh, so I'm just going to, I'm going to continue in the gospel of Mark and talk about demon possession, and... um, (laughs) because I've had some of you come to my office and say you felt like you were dealing with one. And uh, so, uh, just kidding, just kidding. I am going to deal with that for a moment or two, but uh, because it just happened to be where we are in the gospel of Mark. So, uh, uh, follow along. Let's get to Mark chapter one. Jesus. Uh, he's in his, this would be like his first day at the office. It's like he's clocking in. He's picked his team. He's been baptized. He's already had to face the devil once. And now he's going to face him in another dimension. And uh, so we're going to just kind of walk through the rest of the uh, the first chapter of Mark. I'm going to really give you hope that we will get through this book before the millennium ends. And uh, so we're going to lop off just a little bit bigger passage today. So we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, beginning at uh, verse twenty. Uh, some interesting things are coming about here as Jesus uh, starts so when they came into Capernaum you have to understand Capernaum would be like uh, it would be like uh, a little city like Martinez in the region of Galilee like Martinez is part of the East Bay so Jesus' headquarters is really his office is going to kind of be located in Capernaum and from there he's going to travel around and I love these two words right away some of, your, some of your passages will say, and immediately. Remember, that's a key word. Mark uses it over 40 times. And right away or immediately, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. Now, why is that important? Well, a couple of things. Number one, a synagogue was kind of like a local church. Um, it's not the temple. Remember the temple's in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem is where people went. They offered sacrifice and uh, that's where the the, the main part of the Jewish history of worship worship would take place. But synagogues were like the local church. They were just kind of smattered all along in these little towns throughout and around and beyond Jerusalem. Wherever there were ten Jewish males or ten Jewish families in a community they would always have a synagogue. And so when they would come, uh, they would really do three things. They'd pray, read the word, and then they'd preach and teach. It was really a teaching uh, area or place where they would go. Now, isn't it funny that Jesus says, first thing immediately, right away, what's he do? First day at the office, he goes to church, I never talk really about church attendance or church involvement or anything like that. I've never, you know, I don't harass people or harangue people to come to church. But I do. It gives me just does give me an opportunity to say this: if there's anybody that really never needed church, (laughs) Jesus, and yet what does he do? The first thing, immediately, right away, he goes to church. And let me just say this. I, when I was younger, when I first came here, I didn't really talk. I mean, I still don't, but I, I, I do privately with people because I see so many people train wreck. I see so many people get off the tracks. And a lot of times it's because they move out of fellowship. And, and, and you know me. I'm not one of these preachers that says, you be at this and you go to that and you be at everything we do. But can I just tell you, loved ones, very pastorally and also as a friend, Church for some needs to be just a little bit, you know, more of a ramp up for you, because a lot of people live on the Brill Cream. I'm going to date myself with that word. Remember Brill Cream? What was the saying? A little dabble, do ya? And there's a lot of people who do church on the basis of that. Just a little dabble, do ya? And, and, and I just the people that are growing in Jesus, the people that are growing outside of themselves are usually people that become connected in the community. And they're the people that grow with a little bit of balance to their life. The people that say, I don't need the church, I just want Jesus, and that's really all you need. But you know it's funny to me that Jesus says, I am the church. And so really when you're rejecting the church, to some degree you're rejecting Jesus. People say, well, I don't want to go where there's a bunch of hypocrites. You know what? You've got to be bigger than a hypocrite to hide behind them. You know, and, 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 and I said it last week, but if there's any place that a hypocrite should come, it's here because it's here that Jesus can begin to work and to change us, not only on the vertical level but the horizontal level because God peoples us, and he changes us, and he works with us. So that's what I want you to understand. It's not about, listen, I don't care about, I mean, I care about attendance, but it's, it's more about you. And the people, and and I say, I've said this a number of times, but it's really true. Most of the people that I get to know that have said something like, oh, I don't need the church, I'm just going to sit at home and have my own Jesus time, they really become a little bit weird. Even weirder than the rest of us. (laughs) Because they kind of get all these ideas and and everybody else out there is wrong except for them. And whenever you get somebody like that, it's not good. Okay, let's continue on here and see... Jesus, what's the first thing that he does? See, it would, would not have been unusual for a local rabbi to show up in a synagogue and then the, uh, the elder that was in charge there, he would have invited the rabbi to speak. So Jesus was a rabbi and he would have been invited to speak. Now he speaks, he teaches, and what does it say? It says they were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one who had authority. His teaching, the word authority, was like a power, there was a dynamic to it. See, he wasn't just dispensing information to the people, he was sharing life, he was bringing it down to their level. You know, that's what the church has got to do. You know it's, it's, you know, it's easy to put together a talk that just says, okay, blah, 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 This See, where it becomes living and alive is, is, is when it speaks to your heart and your life and not just your head. So that when you leave, you begin to understand something more about the greatness of God. And because you see and sense and understand to a little bit more about the greatness of God and how much he loves you and what he's done for you, it will lead you to walk differently, to be a different person. And see, whenever Jesus taught, that's what took place. We're gonna read a couple of times later here in the Gospel of Mark. I love this phrase. It says, and the common people heard him gladly. Why is that? You know why? Because he was one of the first rabbis that made sense, they could understand it, and he brought it to the people's level. He would tell stories. He would use practical events of things that were taking place around them. Oh, hey, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. You see that guy over there who's throwing seeds? Kingdom of God's like that. And he would begin to use that story to tell people about Jesus, about his life and the kingdom of God that he brought to them. See, a lot of times we think someone's deep and really good because we walk out scratching our head. No, the best thing you can do is to walk out with something that you understand that challenges you to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. So he's in the synagogue, he's been teaching. Notice what happens. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue and he cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, you Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes him and he says, be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed, uh, convulsed him. He shouted with a loud voice and he came out of him. Now all the people, they're amazed. So they begin to argue with one another saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And I love this phrase in in, in my version, it says this, and Jesus' fame, his fame, then spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Not just the little city of Capernaum, not just the little city of Martinez, but it begins to move out into the East Bay. I love that, his fame, the fame of Christ. See, that's what we're here to do, really, is to make Jesus famous. How does he do it? As we're going to see today in a couple of places and throughout the Gospel of Mark, he touches people. He doesn't just speak to them, but he touches them. I love what Michelangelo said. You'll see just a little picture up here, but of holding hands, of touching, to touch. Michelangelo, who on the the Sistine Chapel uh, ceiling painted the picture of God, and you see his finger pointing out to Adam, which is limp and needing life. Michael who painted that, said this, to touch can be to give life. So we see here Jesus dealing with an evil spirit. Isn't it interesting that uh, after his baptism, he dealt with Satan himself for 40 days out in the wilderness. Now he, he, he punches the time clock for his mission. He shows up at the office, which is over in Capernaum, and he goes to the synagogue his first day, and what does he do? He deals with this demon-possessed person. It's important for us to see that, you know what, when, oftentimes whenever we, we, we face these spiritual highs, that's where the enemy will come oftentimes and potentially attack us. Now, he's not dealing with Satan here. We see that it's an unclean spirit or a demonic spirit. You have to understand, remember this, that, 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 that Satan and Jesus are not the antithesis. They're the antithesis of one another, but they're not the equal antithesis of one another. Never forget, Satan is a created angelic being. Uh, we, we believe he was literally the worship leader, the song leader in heaven. Isaiah 14 talks about him. Ezekiel talks about him and it says in, in, in Isaiah 14 that it talks about the four I wills of Satan. he says, "I will exalt myself, I will take over heaven." And it's at that point he begins this rebellion with what we believe to be probably over one-third of the angelic beings in heaven. And so with this rebellion, God asserts his authority and he removes him from heaven and casts him out. And then it's after that that he begins to, what what, uh, Jesus said and what Paul said is that he becomes the power and principality of the air. And he really has, he has control over the environment and the economy and everything of this earth and this world. Yet, never forget, just as he was cast out of heaven, he is subject to Jesus Christ, to heaven, to the triune God. He only has the authority that is delegated to him from heaven. But it's important to understand that, that he is involved in life. Now, hear me. He is not Jesus's equal opposite. See, God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. Jesus is here in our midst today in spirit and in life. Satan is not. He cannot be everywhere, so he has a location. But he has these demonic, em- demonic emissaries, his entourage, as it will, that will be involved and show up. And it's important to realize none of us are probably ever going to deal with Satan. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's dealing with other things, but his emissaries have opportunity. And here, this is an important biblical principle too uh, out of Ephesians 3 that, you know what? Satan is not omnipresent. He can't, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Jesus does. The Spirit does. He knows everything you think or say. But some of us have trouble because we deal with the enemy of our soul and his emissaries, and you know what? They don't know what you're thinking, but they hear what you say. And that's where the points of attacks come. Boy, I can't stand my spouse. He's this, he's that, she's that, she's this. And it's at those points, the emissaries of the enemy of our soul come in and they go, oh, okay, let's hit this area. And we begin, that's why the power of our mouth and the words that we speak become so important as the scripture says, there's life and death in them. And that's what the enemy of our soul and his emissaries use against us. Now, so he doesn't have the same attributes. And see, sometimes we forget. I hear people, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You know, some of us, well, you know, I got a flat tire today and the devil's at work. No, he's not. He's busy. Busier than what you think. He's not dealing with you. Now, and, 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 and see, and I'll, I'll just tell you, and some of you can disagree with me, that's all right, but I don't believe this, I don't even believe the enemy of our soul is dealing with flat tires. <laughs> I think he's, you know, he wants to deal with other things. More important things, will take you down. And we see demons and the devil and everything, and he's not, because there's two other things you've got to deal with. There's only the devil, but then you've got to deal with his emissaries, then you've got to deal with the flesh, You know what the flesh is? That's you. That's the internal thing. The Bible says is your flesh that makes you want to do things that you shouldn't do and do things and not do things that you should do. And so many of us have been on a path of self-destruction because we want to do things this way, our way, when we want, how we want. Why would the devil even bother with you? I'll just let Terry destroy himself. and we sometimes we just got to go yeah that's me it's not the devil cuz i got to tell you i get tempted but most of the time it's more about my flesh and what it quails to do and then there's a third there's the world system first john talks about this that there is this system of the world that that wants us to do things that entices us to buy in to its system and we have to be on the guard that we don't get so caught up in, in Wall Street and Hollywood and all of that and allow that to begin to shape who we are, what we think, and what we do. Now hear me. Nobody in this room needs to fear the devil or his emissaries. Okay, it's really important. People ask me, look, it's kind of funny because, and I really never noticed this until I was reading and studying this the last few weeks. This happens in a synagogue in church. This demonic person comes out in church. So we don't know if he's been there a week, a month, a year, 10 years, how long, I don't know. But he manifests himself when, when Jesus comes. See, the enemy will never show himself. If, if it's just some kind of religious activity going on, he really doesn't care because religion ain't gonna get you to heaven. It's not gonna get you into Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. And when Jesus shows up and he knows that he can begin to change lives and transform people, when he shows up, then he manifests himself in different ways at different times. People say, well, Pastor, Pastor, uh, you know, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I go, who would want to, you know? Really? No. 1 John 4, 4 says this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you got to know that. you got to believe that so you don't live in fear and so you don't see a devil under every little thing. Oh, let's build my coffee. Yeah, I must be the devil at work today trying to no! You spilled your coffee. And... And, and then, in and, and, and a sidebar, there's, so, there's such a proliferation, just watching TV and you see the advertisements for all this paranormal stuff, and all of this demonic stuff and these scary movies. Can I just say something as your pastor? stay away from them? Two reasons. Why, why open yourself up to that? Because it's when you open yourself up to something that there is the possibility of there to be influence. I'm not talking about possession, but I'm talking about influence. So stay away from those. Can I just tell you something? When I was in high school and and I went and saw the exorcist, that's the creepiest thing I ever saw. So Tungular, whatever the bells are, remember that song? I hear that today and I still want to, you know, I go to Trina, honey, just hold me, pray for me, you know? (laughs) It's like, I, I know greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but just pray for me. It still creeps me out. And I stay away, and I, you know, so, man, I'm 56, and that was, you know, 40 years ago. And you're, but the fear still, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I don't eat pea soup either. And um, <laughs> so, um, just so you know. But, uh, sidebar, sorry, I'm kind of jumping over here. But you see what I'm saying, loved ones? Don't open yourself to that kind of stuff. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Study the scriptures. See, Jesus never sought out demons, Read the Gospels. He didn't. They just came to him because they wanted to be out. They, the person wanted to get delivered. They were enough in their right mind. They said, God, free me. And there are churches and there are people, there are Christians. It's kind of like they get their spiritual jollies. Hey, let's pray and then let's go cast out demons somewhere. Are you kidding me? You stupid? I go, man, I, I, I've, I've been doing this for, I'm 56 and I have never seen a demon manifest itself yet. And the only thing is, and I, listen, I believe in him. I've got pastors and friends that have dealt with them. And I'm not afraid of them, but I think Jesus just loves me enough to say, you know, pastor, give him an easy job, you know. (laughs) He doesn't need to deal with that kind of stuff. And I'm thankful. I don't want to see him. You know, but I I get always concerned when churches, they make it a big deal. Oh, we're going to kick the devil. See, the Bible never tells us to go kick the devil. You know what the Bible tells you to do? Ephesians chapter 6, stand in your faith. Stand in your faith and in your belief and know the word of God so that when that demonic or if it ever comes to you, all you gotta do is what Jesus did and speak the word in his name. Now, I'm gonna deal with this subject more as we go along because it's gonna come up a few more times. But if your focus is Jesus' loved ones and you speak his name and you live for him and you stand in him, the devil will have to run. His emissaries, his entourage, his demonic people will have to to run, First John three eight says this: that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy Satan's works. Why? So he could destroy Satan's and his emissaries' works in your life, so the life of Jesus could become more manifest. Because see, Jesus said this in John ten ten. He said, "I have come to give you life, and life more abundantly to the full." But the enemy he comes to do three things: steal, kill, destroy. See, that's the whole goal. That's the whole focus. That's the whole desire of what the enemy comes to do. And I see so many people get stolen from. I see, I see people just get stolen from. Their wives get messed up and just, just destroyed by the works of the enemy. And it's so hard then to see that soul and that person get remended by the work of Christ, but I've seen it. See, Colossians 2 Jesus or Paul says about Jesus that when he died on the cross, he gives you and me and us and every Christ follower the ultimate victory that because of what Jesus done on the cross, we have victory, and he triumphed over the, the works of the enemy, He destroyed them. But hear me, you've got to walk in Jesus to experience that victory. So evil spirits, don't be afraid of them. walk in Jesus. Well. Next little thing here is verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, so they leave church, and, and, and this is a good principle too. Take Jesus home with you. You'll see here in just a minute. You know, sometimes we kind of go into church and we just kind of go, oh, that was really cute or that was really sweet or that was really powerful and we forget to take Jesus with us. But you see, when you take Jesus with you, some of these other great things are gonna happen in your life. Notice, when they were leaving, they came after sun had set, so it's the end of the Sabbath day on a Saturday. They begin bringing to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door and he healed many. Whoops, I got ahead of myself. Back to 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John and Jesus. Simon's mother-in-law was laying in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. Get this, verse 31. So Jesus went to her and he took her by the hand. He touches her and he raises her up and the fever left her and she began to serve him they probably have a meal together, which would have been a very common way to end the Sabbath. Night comes, and after the sun had set, they begin bringing to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many. doesn't say all, right? He said he healed many uh, who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So Jesus, he gets invited over to Simon Peter's mother's-in-law's home, and, 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 and she's sick. Now, the Gospels throughout, they always talk, and we're going to see this, especially in Mark. You'll see it on your notes there. I listed a, f- a number of those, where it says that Jesus touched, Jesus touched, Jesus touched. That's what his life was about. See, it wasn't just about telling and speaking, and sometimes we think that that's what we do in the church. No. That's why this church says, we're not going to stick in here, and I'm not going to sit here and preach to you every Sunday and then we're not going to do anything. It's that you hear the word and then you're able to go out and you begin to do the works of Jesus because that's what Jesus did. He preaches in the synagogue and then he's ministering to people outside. And that's the mission of the church to always be involved in that. So Jesus not only heals through the authority of his word but through the power of his life and his touch. And what I love about this is see, you know, this is over 2000, this is close to 2000 years old now. But what Jesus did back then, now science is validating for us today. Not that we really needed it, but it's true. There's a psychology professor um, from University of California, Berkeley. His name is Doshier Keltner, and uh, he's a professor of psychology. He wrote a book, Born to be Good, The Science of a Meaningful Life. And obviously, he's not a Christ follower from uh, everything that I, I know. But this is what he said. He said, touch, feel, it's the first language that we learn. It's our richest means of emotional expression throughout life. Keltner goes on to say that the science of touch, uh, as he elaborates on the cutting edge findings of it, he says uh, every day forms of touch can bring us emotional balance and better health. A pat on the back, a crest of the arm. These are everyday incidental gestures that we usually take for granted thanks to our amazingly dexterous hands. But after years spent immersed in the science of touch, I can tell you that there are far more profound, these are far more profound than we usually realize. There are prim- they are, are pri- listen, our primary language of compassion and our primary ways of spreading compassion. In recent years, a wave of studies have documented some incredible emotional and physical health benefits that come from touch. This research is suggesting that touch is truly fundamental to human communication, bonding, and health. And I got a lot more here. I, I want to tell you this. I didn't tell First Service this, but uh, they actually did a study on the NBA players. And they were watching, they, 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 they watched almost every, a couple of teams for every game, and they said the, the, the best teams and the best players were the ones that touched each other the most. Incredible. So that's why you see me always patting guys on the fannies and high-fiving and, and doing all that, because I want them to have a good day, I want them to be emotionally well, and I want to be healthy. But you see Jesus, he comes and he does this touch thing. It's not just words. Now, if you cross-reference this passage here with Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience, he inserts in there Isaiah 53.4 that says this, surely Jesus bore our weaknesses and he carried our diseases. Now, a lot of preachers, friends, they'll tell you this, that because Jesus did that, it's called the atonement. That not only did he die for our sins, but he died for our healing and our health. And that is true. But a lot of people get off base on this. And it's, it's kind of part of the prosperity gospel where they try and tell you things like everybody should be healed. If you're not healthy, if you're sick or you get a disease, then maybe the issue is your faith, or maybe there's sin in your life, or maybe it's this or that or the other. And can I just tell you something? Theologically speaking, that's a bunch of bunk. And some of you may listen to that. That's good, I don't care. It's not true. I've seen a lot of really good Christ followers die at an early age. I've been at their bed when they died. See, Jesus never anywhere makes the issue always about our faith. If that's true, we're in trouble. See, I've prayed for people. I've seen them healed. i prayed Trina twice has been healed. And, And not because of my prayers, but because I prayed to the miracle worker, Jesus. Because I prayed for other people that have still died. I don't know why people. Die. I mean, I know why people die, but I mean, I don't know why some people they get healed and others don't. If you read the Gospel of John, go to John chapter five, and you'll see Jesus literally walking over people that are sick and afflicted and dying at the Pool of Siloam, and he walks up to one man and says, "Do you want to get healed?" "Hello, sure, you bet, no kidding." And he heals him. You know why? because Jesus touches and goes and does what he hears the Father telling him to do, John 5, 19 and 20. And and, and then, I think it's John 12, Jesus says, I speak what I hear the Father saying to me. He was on assignment. And hear me, in the Bible, in God's word, not everybody gets healed. says it right there. And those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, they brought into him, and he healed many of them. It doesn't say he healed every last one of them. And see, loved ones, the reason that's so important is because, and I was just talking to somebody after service. They said, you know, I've kind of felt sometimes like my faith wasn't good enough and I haven't been healed. Or God didn't love me like he loved them. I go, oh, sweetie, that's so sad. Because that's not true at all. Sin is in this world, and I don't know why, I don't know who, God does. And see, it's really important to get God's perspective. Am I saying Jesus doesn't heal? No way. We will pray, and we do pray, and shall pray for everybody. We do it every week for people in here. But hear me, salvation encompasses not just physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. And hear me, sometimes the ultimate healing for people is when they die and go to be with Jesus. And there is an ultimate healing, and it talks about it in Revelation 21 and 22, the end of the book after Jesus comes back for his church, and he sets up his new kingdom, which is really what the gospels are all about, where he sets up the kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, but Revelation talks about the literal kingdom of God that's going to be eternal. He sets that up, and guess what? There's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more disease, there's no more sickness. And that is the ultimate healing that every Christ follower gets to look forward to. It's the promise of Jesus that will be fulfilled. So at the end of the day, Jesus prays for all these people and he heals them and commands demons to be removed. Hear me, he, what does it say? The touch. He lays hands on these people. The half-brother of Jesus, by the name of James, whom the New Testament book is named after him, he writes this in chapter 5. He says call on the leaders of the church to pray for people and to lay hands on them that they might be healed. We do that here. I believe in that. But hear me. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It is simply a way, a point of contact like Jesus did, where when you go and you touch somebody, you are saying, I come to bless you. I come to comfort you. I come to care for you in the name of Christ Jesus. And I pray for you. And, and hear me, it, it, it isn't that I have to do it, although I love praying. But every, listen, if you are a Christ follower in this room today, you have as much prayer power as I do. And I know a lot of people don't believe that, but it's true. It's not like I'm 100%, I got the red line to God, come and I'll pray for you. I have no more, no more in with God than anybody sitting around these tables if you know Jesus. That's why I love coming to church before service, in between services, after services, and I love seeing little pockets of people standing up and they've got their hands on their shoulders or they've just got their arm around them and they're just praying for them in Jesus' name. It's saying, I care, God cares. I believe, I'm gonna believe God uh, for you and with you. Amen, yeah, See, there's a power to this. I got guys that come and pray with me before service. And they just lay their hands on me. And they just kind of go, okay, man, let's go. I'm going to kick the devil out of the town now, you know. and you know, Take on hell with, this, with a with the squirt gun. We're going to do it. I mean, there's just, you know. And that's what happens when you get, when, when people touch you and when you know Jesus is there. So we do that. We believe in it and we'll continue to do it. Uh, let's look at another uh, passage the healing of a leper Uh, verse 40 I'm going to come back and do 35 through 39 next week it says now cleansing a leper verse 40 says then a man with a serious skin disease leprosy which is common it's still common in the Middle East notice the three things he does he came to him he got on his knees and he begged him Jesus if you're willing can you make me clean now, re- remember what the, uh, the professor from Berkeley said and he said that there's this great connection between touch and compassion uh, pick this up verse 41 moved with compassion Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him see sometimes we think that science has to validate everything we do it does at some point but that's why we sometimes just trust the word So moved with compassion, Jesus touched him. And now he says these great words, I am willing. And then he says, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him and he was healed. And then Jesus sternly warned him and he sent him away at once telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. When a leper uh, come out out of the leper community, uh, for them to be pronounced, uh, for them to get back into the flow of, of regular commerce of living, they had to be pronounced clean by a priest. So that's why Jesus said that. Also, to validate the fact, the reality that he did heal him. And then he leaves, and Jesus, says, don't tell anybody, this is kind of a stealth mission right now. <laughs> Yet he went out and he began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news. And with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a, town, enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places and they would come to him from everywhere. So we see this leper. I love the language of Jesus here. And I am willing, be made clean. He speaks to and he touches this leper. Now Isaiah uh, chapter one, verses five through six, you'll see this litany, this prophetic message that comes from Isaiah to God's people and he lists out all these things that show this leper and it really is a picture of, of sin. Leviticus 13 throughout the scriptures leprosy is always a picture of sin in a person. Leviticus 13 teaches that leprosy begins below the surface of the skin and if you understand this loved ones sin isn't what you do it's really who you are. See, the manifestations that we see of people's sin, it isn't just that. Those are really just manifestations of the battles that are taking place inside their soul. We just get to see the manifestations of it. And leprosy takes place first and foremost below the skin, and then it comes out as a disease. That's why I say this often and never forget this. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Because of the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. We have sin that courses through our veins from the time. uh, the Scripture says that we're conceived. Leviticus 13 also says that sin, uh, that leprosy, like sin, spreads and pollutes the whole body. See, like sin, you know, a lot of us are good. We can, we can do sin management. We can do image management. But you can only do that for so long before it really pops back up, comes back out, and you have to deal with it. Philip Yancey notes in one of his books, Uh, he says that the most hopeless of all diseases is leprosy because physically leprosy is incurable. But it reverses the pain process from what we're known. See, if you get a disease, if you have something very, if you get really sick, what usually is the, is the indicator that something's wrong? It's pain. But you see, with leprosy, it's the opposite. Leprosy starts underneath the skin, and it begins to surface. And as it's surfacing, it's killing the nerve endings of all parts of your body. And so pretty soon you're walking around and, and you brush up against a fire if that's possible and you get burned, but your hand doesn't even know it because there's no nerve endings. Or as the, as your, as the, as the, as the digits of your hands or parts of your body begin to rot from leprosy, you'll hit something really hard and one of your fingers would fall off or a toe or part of your body. Why? Because you can't feel the pain. You become numb to it. Isn't it interesting that in life, sin leads us to do all of these things to numb the pain of our life? And ultimately, because we're trying to numb these soul issues, it leads us to destruction. And that's why leprosy is such a powerful picture of what sin does and what it's like in our lives. It's a hopeless disease. For those people, what it would do is it was grotesque. And society saw it And as a leper was diagnosed. What they would do is they'd send them into leper colonies because they felt it was contagious. And imagine being ostracized because of this kind of a disease because people were so fearful of it. Literally, if you had leprosy and you were gonna try and come around people or if people come around you within about 150 feet radius, you would have to jump up and down if you could and yell, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, I'm a leper. A little shame involved in that, a little embarrassment, huh? But that's what they would have to do. And then they're in this little colony. And literally, they're probably alone because they're removed from family. And, and then they die, die a lonely death. So Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to this man. I, I think we can all admit that we live in this time continuum of life where we all experience brokenness and numbness. I mean, can't we just be honest? I mean, are we just all a little damaged we're damaged goods because of sin. Can we agree on that? Okay, if not, some of you probably aren't real ready to do that. But just look at the person next to you and go. Now I can see it. You know, <laughs> because I know we don't want to, We don't really like to admit it. We like to think we're together, and that's really the problem. Because a lot, you know, there's people that. Some of us, we really do. We wear our brokenness out here on our skin, and it really is easy to be seen. It's easily seen by others, and we move. And in our brokenness, some of it's so obvious. There's just kind of this jangling and this rattling that goes on. And wherever we go, people go, "Oh yeah, here comes Terry." You know, and you don't say it, but if we okay, we're going to deal with his brokenness. And some of us, it's really obvious. We just can't hide it because there's so much. Uh, But you know what? There's others of us. Well, we're a lot more elegant. We're a lot more professional. We're a lot more together in our brokenness. See, we've learned how to store our brokenness in a safe place because we know we don't want to let other people see it. We know it's not good kind of to bring it out in public. It's kind of like underwear. We all know you're wearing it. We're supposed to wear it. But we don't, want any, we don't want to see anybody's. And, and, and brokenness is kind of like that. We see in Jesus' life, you know what he knows? He knows that our healing or our brokenness goes far beyond what is ever seen. And he knows his healing has to go deeper than what is seen on the skin. And that's why leprosy becomes this perfect picture and metaphor throughout the Bible of the human dilemma, of our need for healing beyond the exterior and what we do. See, for a leper, listen, they would be oozing with sores after time. There would be an odor that emanated. There would be digits that would be missing. They were an outcast from society. Religion had wanted nothing to do with them. But notice the way Jesus deals with them this guy he pushes his way through the crowd we don't even hear him yelling maybe he did maybe he didn't but he knows Jesus is coming there's a sense that God can touch him and what does he do he says this is Jesus this is my last this is my only hope and he, and he falls before him and he calls out to him and he begs him now if I'm Jesus can I just be honest with you I have a hard time making hospital calls actually I don't I, I, I love doing it I love coming to see people. It's just that if you've really been banged up or something's wrong, I just, my stomach, it's just, ugh. You know, I can't. I mean, I, I've passed out almost on a few people, you know? I had to get help and I had to get water and I had to get fresh air and then I come back and I'm all right. But I, I, this, if I find if Jesus here, you know what I'm going to do? I am willing to be healed. <laughs> But not Jesus, it's not about his words, it's about his touch. It's about him intersecting his life with every one of ours at the dirtiest, at the most difficult, at the worst places. And like this leper, can I just tell you loved ones, he's not shocked by or embarrassed of your sin or your brokenness. But I also got to tell you this: every day, in every way, we've got to press into him. I don't care if you've been knowing, if you've known Jesus for two weeks, two months, or four decades. You still have to press into this one, because brokenness and wholeness—it is not either or. It is moving toward wholeness, because every one of us is broken in different ways, at different depths and dimension, and whether you're faltering in your faith or struggling in your sin, Jesus says, I want to come, I want to touch you. Remember 1982, the big movie that year? It was E.T. See a little picture of it here. What What was the promotional publicity around it? It was simply this finger, this glowing finger from the extraterrestrial touching this little boy's life in a significant way. Can I tell you something? I'm not saying Jesus is an E.T., but he is a savior from another dimension and time continuum that came into our time and space continuum, and he brings his finger and his touch, and he says, I'm going to touch you so I can bring healing to you. But you see, some of us, the reason it's hard to really experience it is because we're, uh, we're trying to figure it out, and we really haven't stepped in and said, this is it, all or nothing, chips in, I'm gonna follow. Jesus is talking to a guy, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and he says this. Now, there's one of the scribes, one of the religious leaders approached Jesus when he heard them debating, and he saw that Jesus answered them well. Uh, that's really nice. Somebody's going to give Jesus a star for a good answer. <laughs> and the guy says to Jesus, hey, you know, what commandment's the most important? And Jesus says, well, let me give you the most important. What a great question for God. What's most important? Jesus says, Listen, O Israel. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. See, God always starts with a love and a pursuit and a passion for him. E.T. came from another country, touches a little boy. Jesus came from heaven to touch us, to redeem us, to bring wholeness. Notice that word there, it says the Lord our God, Father, Son, the Spirit, they're one. There's an integrity to who they are. They can't be separated, even though they are three parts, they're always one in essence. And he says, I have created you in my image. And what's that image? So that we can be people who are one. We're not fragmented. We're not broken. We're moving to oneness, to wholeness in Christ. I love that because I'm one of the. You know, do you ever do you ever hear voices in your head? I know there's a psychological thing for that, but I'm talking about not 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 you know where we need medication necessarily, but but we're, we're hearing these voices. I got these voices. Do this. Don't do that. And, and sometimes in the quietness, they get louder. And I try and discern them because i got to know what to do. do, you, do you know, I, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. I do and I don't want to. Do, 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 anybody else here? Okay, I guess I better probably deal with this. But, um, <laughs> if okay, let me break it down a little bit differently. How about this way? I was driving this, this last week on Contra Costa Boulevard. Uh, in the glove compartment of my car, if you went out there now, you would see uh, uh, somebody gave me a gift certificate to seize. That's my girlfriend. And not my wife, but my only one I've ever had an affair with. And so I'm driving down Contra Costa, and I so badly want some uh, orange cream, vanilla butter cream. I love the creams, the, and, and I'm driving, and there's this thought in my mind that says, pull over, go, get it. You've got the gift certificate, and then I got this other thing that goes, "No, don't do it. You're, you're you're finally back on your routine. You're starting to do a little bit of jogging again. You want to get in shape to play basketball against all these young guys. Don't do it." And I'm going, "Do it! Don't do it!" And I'm going, and I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's. Amen. Do you deal with that a little bit, anybody? Yeah. Okay. Now, now we're trying. See, and 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 and, and sometimes. I, I feel so fragmented. And what am I going to do? How and I, and I know some people do do that. I mean, it's possible somebody's here, you're talking with somebody. Your mind says, "Don't say that." And then your emotions kick in and your mouth engages and you say it. Some of you, your mind says, "Don't do this because you're in just the right circumstance and you're with somebody. And your mind's saying, don't go there, don't go there, you know. But you just want love so bad, you'll settle for lust or sex. And your body's saying, go there, you want this. some of us who are our logic says, don't take that next drink. But our emotions, our feelings say, no, go ahead. You need to take the edge off. Enjoy it. It's good. You can do it. You need it. It'll get you through the day, through the night, through this, this difficult time. And see, loved ones, that's where we go. See, now it's going to make a little sense to you, isn't it? Because, see, that's the fragmented part of our lives that Jesus says, you're still broken. And you could could give any example you want. But Jesus says, I want to bring wholeness. I want to take that brokenness, and I want you to journey with me. And he says here, just like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one, I want you to love me with your mind, soul, body, strength, strength. Because when you get those things centered and moving toward Jesus, guess what? You're moving from brokenness to wholeness. And it is not a destination, loved ones. It is a journey. A lot of people say, oh, don't touch me. I told you last week. You know, people say, oh, I can't come to church until I get my life together. So, you know, Jesus can accept me then. I said, good luck, because most of us can't do that. And then there's others of us that say, I want, I want to come to church. You know, my brokenness, and I, I want to worship. I want to sing. I want to love Jesus. But I don't really want him to change me. I want him to do what I, I want to do what I want to do and still live the way that I want to live. And can I tell you something? You don't get Jesus' touch that way. You have You got to ask you, you got to be open. We're going to talk about this a little more down the road, but how do you know how broken you are? I mean, see, my goal right now, I mean, you know, you know be about 60%, you know, whole, moving toward 100%. I mean, God's 100%, so I won't get there until I see him, you know. and So and this is my thing, is I want to always be more, moving toward more wholeness than brokenness. How do you know? Well I think there's a few things. Number 1, broken people are always they take more than they give. Whole people always give more than they take. H- whole people always live with greater hope and faith and they see a preferable future. Broken people always see despair and death and junk. Whole people they 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 are very Uh, very more responsible. They take responsibility for who they are, who they're becoming in Jesus, with Jesus. Uh, Broken people blame. And it's this, it's that, it's them, it's the other. That's the reason I can't move forward. That's the reason I can't get a good job. See the difference? That's why we need more of walking with Jesus so he can begin It's not just the only answer, but part of bringing us wholeness. Two things. When we come to Jesus, and I hope most, and I'm sure most of us have here, he deals with your brokenness, and this is what I've learned about my life. Jesus' goodness and his power is exponentially stronger and greater than my unworthiness and brokenness. And the more I bring me to him and confess and am open with that, guess what? The more wholeness that can come. And and if you're broken today, you're not a leper, but you've got sin and you've never come to Jesus, I invite you to do that today. The second part of this whole passage is not only do we come to Jesus, but we go for Jesus. Why? So we can touch others. We go in the spirit and the power of Christ. As I said earlier, everybody around this table, you got as much spiritual dynamic and power as I do. And we all get to go, walk in it, and live in it. Isn't it interesting, twice in the stories that we read, Jesus told them while he was on earth, listen, I don't want it out right now, and there's probably a couple of reasons. Number one, he doesn't want a demonic guy going out and saying, hey, look what Jesus did. You know, that can kind of be a trip on the, you know, on the truth. Potentially, people go, oh, yeah, you're just a demon guy, so how, why would we believe that? But also, he doesn't want this whole Jesus thing as he goes into towns, he doesn't want it to have this circus carnival event where people just simply come to get the goodies. They want him, they want, he wants people to respond to the Savior. But it doesn't work. He tells them not to, and what do they do? They go tell everybody. Isn't it interesting that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, what does he do? He says, listen, my church, go tell everybody. (laughs) And what do we do? We tell no one. Okay, so we don't tell everybody, but can we do this? Can we go and be his hands extended and begin to touch people in Jesus' name? We can do it in different ways. Henry Newman said this, a Catholic priest, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, always telling us, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. That's what we can do. Tell your story of what Jesus did for you. Tell Jesus' his story of what he did for them. He came, he died, forgives their sins, gives them purpose and hope. That's the good news. Hurting people, friends, are all around us. As a pastor, I've learned everybody has hidden wounds, everybody, they've got hurt, they've got brokenness, they're all around us. Do you think there's somebody in the East Bay that you can touch? Do you think there's somebody in Martin? Do you think there's somebody in your house? Let me give you a little secret because you might go, "Well, preacher, I, you know, I don't know anybody that's broken." Well, let me tell you how to identify a broken person. Notice somebody that you probably really don't like because they're hurting other people. They're broken, because broken people, hurting people, hurt people. And they get to be the first one that you get to reach out in Jesus' name. Begin to love, speak to, touch, because every one of us in this room is commissioned and powered. Amen? Amen. Would you quietly stand with me? In the Gospels you'll see that Jesus didn't make a big deal about people coming to him he just simply said either follow me or I'm leaving now and people followed you know why because ultimately it's not about raising a hand it's not about signing a slip it's about what happens in your heart and the true test of what happens in your heart will always be seen in what happens in your feet in your mouth in your life and today I just want to invite you to follow Jesus And if you've never done that, it's it's really pretty simple. Invite him in. All that guy did, the leper, Jesus, just touch me. And some of you say, Jesus, touch me. Touch my brokenness. And he'll come in. And I want to pray for our church. That as we go today, we go. We don't stand on a soapbox tomorrow or Tuesday or Friday, but we go. And we just say, Jesus, I want to be open touch this person. It might be with your words. might be with kindness. Or it might be just going up and putting your arm on their shoulder and say, this guy, I heard what's going on. Can I pray for you? Give them hope. Because that's what Jesus would do.